0: So, Diane, why don't you pray for us to open us in prayer? Okay,
1: Father God, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you for bringing us here together. We just am uh, grateful, we are grateful to you that we have a chance to study and get gain new insights from your word. All say, I'm in agreement with all the prayers of the people here, and I thank you for having ear to hear us thank you for working <coughs> in us and through us and standing with us when we can't do that in our own strength for ourselves. I just praise your name and I am so grateful to be called your daughter. Mm-hmm. And I just thank you that that you're just with us. And I just pray a special blessing on this time tonight. May we all Walk
0: away just a little different, a little more faithful, and a little more trusting in you. In Yeshua, Messiah's name I pray. Amen. 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 So we're continuing our study in Matthew. We're in chapter 23. And I would be happy to take someone who is ready to read. Um, We'll be starting in verse 7 and going to verse 24. So instead of trying to, if someone, whoever has a, Matthew 23, 7 to 24, 24. and I'm sorry the notes are really discombobulated tonight, I was having quite a spiritual time of trying to get things together today.
1: It happens. Greetings in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by men, but you are not to be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Messiah. But the greatest of all is your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Where, where to verse 24. Okay. But woe to you, Torah scholars and Pharisees, hypocrites, where you shut people out of the kingdom of heaven, or you do not enter yourselves, nor do you let those enter who are trying to go in. Woe to you, Torah scholars and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel over land and sea to make one convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much son as Gehenna as yourself. Woe to you, blind guys. You say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is oblig- obligated. O fools and blind which is greater, the gold or the temple that made the gold holy? And you say, whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the altar is on it. He is obligated. O blind ones, which is greater? The offering or the altar that makes the offering holy? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar swears both by the altar and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears both by the temple and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Woe to you Torah scholars and Pharisees, hypocrites. You tie mint and and dill dill and cumin, yet you have neglected the weightier matters of the Torah. Justice and mercy and thankfulness. It is necessary to do these things without neglecting the others.
0: Actually, one more verse. I'm sorry, verse 25 too.
1: Okay, I'll go through Tell me why to stop because our
0: Bibles might be a little different. That's okay. A blind guy straining out of a nap while swall- swallowing a camel. That, that was the fun verse. That was it there. So, <laughs> I'm sorry my notes are a little bit off, but um, this is thank you for your chesed last week, too. Um, Rabbi Haim kind of came into the game as a pinch hitter kind of late. I found out uh, Tuesday night that Deborah had a program at the school that I was supposed to be at. So I wasn't able to be here last week, so I appreciate your chesed, and uh, um, I want to just kind of begin with some of the review that Rabbi Haim pointed out that I thought was very helpful, um, bringing, first of all, he talked about the balance in the honorific terms of both rabbi, teacher, and father, and when I was here last time, we actually looked at those from scripture and why that, those uh, titles are put upon people. But most importantly that the titles are there in a in a both a balanced situation in the sense of it's not for us to get exalted or with our head in a title, but it is also to look at ourselves as representations of the Lord. And we want to represent the Lord well as his leaders, as what he has called us to be. And part of that understanding of being a good representation is how we let others treat us as well as how we look ourselves in that position. And so I really uh, enjoyed what Rabbi Haim had to say in that sense of bringing more to that. Of trying to say is we should be looking to exalt the Lord. It's more about making the Lord look good than about asking the Lord to make us humble at times. As we exalt the Lord, that's how uh, the humility flows, as he was pointing out from last week. And I thought that was a very good point. Um, we've been teasing this out a little bit for the last few weeks, but now we're getting into the, the seven woes, as they're called, from, uh, that many of your Bibles may have as a chapter heading here. Um, we talked about, I know Rabbi Ham talked about the, the emphasis of the word oi that the word woe in Hebrew is the word oi, and I think many times we see it as just an o and a y. And it, it's, a, it's a very strong term. It's, it's an exclamative, if that makes sense. It's something you say out with feeling. It's not just a matter of woe, but it's woe kind of out there, and to get your attention almost to shock you or to sometimes said. In a series of lament. As the prophets said. And I think Rabbi Ham had a reference. Fifty four times. In the Tanakh. Where we see the, the term OI. One of my favorite ones. And when Eitan Shishkov was here. He really emphasized it. Was Isaiah six 1, Isaiah six. When Isaiah goes into the presence of the Lord. And he sees the Lord's glory. And he's like. Whoa is me. I'm just taken back about what I've just seen, being in God's presence. I am completely undone. And so a lot of times you don't get that feeling from just the "whoa" that we get in Scripture, but it's a very strong and powerful word of lament, of shock. And even kind of uh, a lot of times we'll hear it in today, and a lot of that comes from the Yiddish uh, form of it is my understanding, that idea of "oy." oi. Or woe that we see. And then Ramaham talked about hypocrisy because, with each of the seven woes, it says, Woe to you, scribes or Torah teachers, depending on which version you have, "um, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. And the, the hypocrites is not a third group, by the way. The hypocrite was pointing to the fact that you are play acting or you're pretending and we talked about how I know we've talked about before in this Bible study but we talked about the Greek word hypocrite if we say the word hypocrite and it's referring to the Greek word and then we use the same word you don't really get an understanding of what the word means but the word has the emphasis of someone who's acting who's putting on a mask or pretending to be something they're not and Rabbi Haim clearly illustrated this by jumping to two of the latter woes and talking about how Yeshua illustrated this by talking about how what was on the outside didn't match up what was on the inside. And he specifically dealt with the two woes, I believe it's uh, 25 right. and 28, right. where he's talking about the cup. There were two specific things, a cup and a grave. Now, obviously, um, coming up to Pesach, it was important to know where the graves were because you, if you stepped on a grave, you became unclean, okay? Because you weren't supposed to go into the graves or be in, in the graves during Pesach. So they made an effort to wash the outside of them, and they would bleach them and make them white so that everyone would know this is a grave. It stood out
2: very clearly and plainly. Michael, let me interject. No, go ahead. Uh, that uh, people did uh, stumble into, into graves because graves were in caves. Mm-hmm. And so uh, on, on the route to Jerusalem, uh, they often didn't have some place to stay. So they would look for a cave. And sometimes the caves were, were actually graves. And, and that's why they, they put the whitewash on them to let people know that you don't want to go there.
0: And, and just to, as a side note, and this makes for a, a little bit of a fun bunny trail, if you didn't know, but um, after, what, what they would do after the body had decayed enough, they would take the bones, or, or actually the, bo- the body would be wrapped for a year, and at the end of that year they would take the bones and put them in a box called an ossuary, and then they would store the ossuaries all together in one family area so that you would have all of them together. And even within archaeology, they have found ossuaries um, showing these different things. So if it's just kind of a side note to this idea. But Yeshua kind of points that the whiteness of the grave, it was clean on the outside, but what was inside was dead men's bones and something that was decaying. And the same with the cup. He said, you're more concerned with the outside of the cup and, and in fact, at home, I sometimes get on the kids because they'll they'll pull a cup out of the dishwasher and they'll be like, "Oh, this is so dirty!" And I'm like, "There's just a spot on the outside. You're not putting your mouth on the bottom of the cup. You know, it's like it's okay. It won't kill you." But the kids are like, "Oh no, no! It's, one part of the cup is dirty. The whole thing is dirty." But the whole point is, is they were more concerned about the outside of the cup instead of what was inside the cup. Because what was inside the cup, if that's dirty, then everything that you would be drinking would be dirty. And so he uses these two illustrations to help us get to this point of what hypocrisy is all about. So that's kind of a brief point of review. And I'm going to kind of follow a little bit of Rabbi Han's lead, and we're going to kind of jump out of order with the verses here a little bit. Because I want to start with the passage of verses 16 through 22, okay, because part of of what we're looking at in all of this um, section is the fact of this section that I had Diane read to us, it's talking about relationships. It's talking about relationships, and you see that back as early as in verses 9 and 10 and 11 where he's saying, for you're all brothers, you're all brothers. And you should treat each other like brothers. And so part of, the, part of the emphasis in looking at these next verses, in which we're covering verses 13 through 25 here, there's an emphasis on several relationships. And I want to kind of draw that out a bit. In these first verses 16 to 25, we're seeing how they're dealing with God how the Pharisees and scribes, how they approach their relationship with God. And then, back in verse 13, we see their relation to the kingdom. Now, in this particular verse, I want to emphasize, the kingdom of God here is referring to, specifically, what I feel is the movement, the the work that Yeshua's been talking about, the good news going forth, the good news of repentance. And at times... The kingdom of God can talk about simply God's ruling and reigning, but it also can be talking about simply the movement that we saw started by John and then going forth in Yeshua. And I want to talk and look at verse 13 in in that particular context. And then verses 14 and 15, as well as 13, they kind of refer to those that are following and those that, who support these people, the, the scribes and the Pharisees. And so all of these verses, the common bond, if we wanted to give the title tonight, is the importance of the relationship. Because all these things are pointing to relationship. And how the Pharisees and scribes deal with their relationship with God is the first thing that's being talked about. And in verses 16 to 22... We see that Yeshua is talking about... If we wanted to sum it up... He's really talking about oaths... How we make an oath... Now oaths have always been important to God... Oaths are serious business... God has always been very serious about... How we approach oaths and vows... And we see that throughout scripture... And I wanted to get into some of those scriptures... And there's three that we start with from the Torah. And you'll begin to see them. And so if I get three separate readers, and I don't I don't necessarily need to assign you, I'll put the three scriptures up and they're in your notes. Numbers 30 and verse 2. That's the first one. The second one is Leviticus 19.12. That will be chanted this week as part of our Torah portion, as part of our team chant, if you're with us on Shabbat. And then the last one is Exodus 20 and verse 7. So, if I could get three different readers, and I want to go through each of these verses talking about oaths. Okay. If a man vow a vow unto the Lord, swear an oath to bind his soul with
1: the bond. He shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of
0: his mouth. Okay. So, the big point here is the very first verse, and this is an important one, keep it. If you're going to say you're going to do something, you better do it. That's the emphasis here on this verse. It's not just a matter of lip service. So you better be sure when you make an oath. And later in the context of this, We see how oaths go down to women because it was a different standard for a woman if she was a daughter or she was a wife. As as you read through the context of Numbers thirty, Leviticus nineteen,
2: do not swear falsely by my name and so
0: profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So we see oaths were made by a name. And that plays out because part of what you need to understand when people took an oath, they were agreeing to something and specifically it was God. It was God. So when you understand these things in the background, you understand what God means in Exodus 20 verse
2: 7. You must not take the name of Adonai your God in vain. For I, and I will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain.
0: So each of these particular things are right out of the Torah. And the very point of the, the, quote, third commandment here, which a lot of people get really hung up on, you can't say blank, blank. Or you can't say G, blank, as a lot of people sometimes get hung up on. And there is a sense of that, Okay. I don't want to minimize that portion of the commandment. But a lot of what this commandment is talking about, the third commandment, is talking about how we hold God's character. The word in Hebrew here, you shall not take, tisa, has, in fact, it's lo tisa, lo tisa Hashem, um, I'm not doing it well from memory, I got the first three words, lo tisa Hashem, Adonai, you shall not take the name of the Lord. And it has to do with the fact of not how we say God's name, but how we carry it. Tisah has the idea of how you pick something up and take it. And so, bottom line is, when we agree to do something, God expects that our character would match his character. (laughs) Because does God break his promises? Does God break his oaths and vows? No. That's why it's serious business. Now Yeshua reiterated this earlier in Matthew. And he, he reiterated it very, very well when he said back in Matthew 5.33-37 he talked about how we say oaths and why we say them. And he reiterates the same thing. If you make an oath, keep it. But... What does he say there? Does anyone know by memory? Matthew five thirty three through
2: thirty seven. We want to read that. Yeah, always good.
0: (laughs) It is. It is in your notes, I believe. Matthew chapter five verses thirty. So the context here is the Sermon on the Mount, and throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Yeshua has been clarifying and correcting what had been taught. And what he says is, he makes a very distinction. Now, I want to make sure you understand this, because there's a distinction. A lot of people look at this and say, Yeshua's constantly referring to Scripture here. Yes and no. He's referring to Scripture, but he keeps saying, you have heard that it is said. Now, many times when you're referring, though, directly to Scripture, and when Yeshua, especially when it came to his uh, temptation with the enemy, what did he say? Did he say, you've heard it, has been said? No. He said, it is written. It is written. A definite, definite distinction. And so constantly through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where he's teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he's correcting what had been taught before, especially when you see the term, you've heard that it's been
2: said. So let's. Uh, oh, did you want to reiterate? Uh, I, I have a comment, Michael. It seems no? that in Matthew five, uh, Yeshua is um, criticizing those who are not willing to uh, to give the word um, at face value, but instead are looking to. Uh, kind of qualified by saying, um, by by swearing by God, by by heaven, and so on and so forth. Instead of just saying, uh, "Here is my word. Here is my bond." Uh, in are you referring to like verse? I
0: mean,
2: um, Matthew twenty-three, Matthew five, Matthew tw- five, right? Yeah, where he says, "Let your yes be and no be no."
0: Yes, that's okay. And, and that's kind of part of the background too within oaths here that we're getting at is that. So he's he's saying a few things about oaths. First of all, don't be ready to make a quick oath. Is I think part of what he's saying when he's let's read it actually. Let's read Matthew five thirty three through thirty seven before I try to reiterate what he's saying here.
2: again you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but carry out your oaths to Adonai. But I tell you, do not swear at all, not by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make a single hair white or black, but let your word yes be yes, and no, no, anything more than this is from the evil one. Okay,
0: so a lot of different points being made. First of all, the the point he's making is that people were to keep their oaths was what was being emphasized. But Yeshua is saying, but I say to you, don't be ready to make a, an oath because you can't control what can happen in your own life. And so part of the background here that I'm trying to say here is that what were they making oaths about? What were they making oaths about? Because we see some of that being pointed out again here. That the oaths were being made not just to God, but they were also being made by their own head and by the temple. And we see some of that coming through also in Matthew 23 when he talks about this section of how you swearing oaths, how you're swearing them about, And we see three different categories... Or three different contrasts here of what they were saying about the oath. On one hand, the oath would be good if you swore by this, but if you swore by that, then it would be no and void. If you swore by this, it was okay, but if you swore by that, it wasn't. So this is what Yeshua talked about here in Baptist Matthew 23. We have the gold of the temple and then the temple we have the offering of the altar and then we have uh, the temple itself versus God in a sense And part of what you're looking at when you look at these three these two contrasts, what do you see as the difference? What are some of the differences when you look at the column on the left versus the column on the right?
1: Are you saying comparing 5 and
0: 23? I'm saying com- comparing the section versus to 16 through 22.
2: There's an increase in, in severity. Uh, you're basically cranking up the intensity uh, and because you, you feel like you have to prove something.
0: There's definitely that. There's definitely going from the gold to the offering to the temple and so on and so forth. And part of, part of what I'm looking at when I look at these three things automatically, I look at these and say they're all externals. Mm. And what did we talk about with the Pharisees and the externals? They're
3: making too many regulations. Well, what is it
0: about externals that's easy for all of us?
3: Appearances.
0: We can control them, though. It's a lot easier to control our external things because we can handle them, we understand them, we know them. It's a little bit easier. But these things, all these were established by God. The temple, the altar and then God himself. All these are part of God's picture of sovereignty on the right-hand side, whereas these were the externals. And I want to bring out that these things are more pictured as the eternals. These things are being brought out as the eternals. But
1: I also think, though, when you go back to 5...
0: Verse 5?
1: When you go back to Matthew 5... Matthew 5, okay. um, You know, it kind of, for me, this is how I see it in my brain, it just makes all of these things you've listed here from twenty three null and void. <clears throat> because what is what is said there? Basically, you know, to me he's in five it's saying don't swear by anything. You know, this don't do it. I mean, that's how I read the information in five.
0: It, yes, yes, and that's that is I think Yeshua's approach because the bottom line is: Can we really control what happens to us?
1: No, and, you, and also this is all God's space. Why would you be swearing on God? You know, it's just—it's again, it's kind of like to me how I interpret it is: You know, this is this is God. This is the name of God. Why would you be swearing
0: anyway? But. And bottom line for all of this. The bottom line here is all of this is connected. You really can't separate the gold from the temple. You really can't separate the offering from the altar. And you really can't separate God
2: from his temple. Mm. I I think here he's trying to to expose the foolishness of their oaths. Correct. He is
0: trying to say, look, You're being silly. You can't separate the altar from the offering. You can't separate the gold from the temple. And this is how they were relating their situation to God, is trying to put God in one section over here in their life, maybe, and put God in another box over here. Sounds like something we sometimes do, where we try to say, well, this over here is secular God, and I can control it, it's mine, But um, you know the stuff that we do at church that can all belong to you and the stuff out in this room and the fact is it goes back to God wants all the keys to everything. Because he gave us everything and it all belongs to him. And I'm sorry? Oh I'm sorry. Go ahead. What were you going to say?
1: No, I Just one thing that stood out to me too was the hypocrisy. You hypocrites. I mean I think other than just being, you know, pretty unsavory to the Lord, to the Lord, the hypocrisy. I think it's also unsavory to other people as a witness. Because, you know, I, when people see hypocrisy in holy places especially, I think they get, they get very turned off.
0: I think when people see hypocrisy in general, it turns them off. But I think
1: especially
0: so. You know, like there's there's no doubt about it, but I, I think part of the issue that we look at with hypocrisy is, and, and like I said, sometimes the Pharisees have been known as the quote-unquote hypocrites, mm-hmm. that they sometimes get lumped in with everything in, in the sense that even when you look up the word Pharisee in the dictionary, it says hypocrite. That <laughs> people just kind of broad-brushed everything And saying when you're talking about one, you're talking about the other. That the fact is, God hates hypocrisy. And God doesn't matter if it's—it doesn't matter to God if it's a Jew or a Gentile, a believer or a non-believer. God doesn't like any kind of hypocrisy. He wants us to be who we are. How we're made, we are who we are. In our struggle, in our weakness, in our ugliness—good, bad, and ugly—God wants us to be who we're supposed to be. And not try to be something we're not. And, and and that's part of the bottom line here. And there's also some other verses we can look at. Especially the idea of the altar. The altar was holy from its start. That's right out of the Torah in Exodus 29.37. The altar was said right there. It's holy because I meet with you there. The smoke on the offerings... And in that context, it talks about how the burnt offerings, both the morning and the evening offering, were brought. And part of the picture of the altar is, this is God's place where you do business. If you've got things that you need to get reconciled, that you have sinned you need to repent of, that you need to get straightened out with Him, that was what the altar was for. It was a constant reminder of the smoke always going up for the daily burnt offerings, of both the evening offering and the morning offering, that here is where you can come to the Lord and settle your business with Him, make things right. The altar was to be a continual testimony. And so this idea that you could separate the offering and say that the offering was better than the altar was silly because they both went together. And you could never separate the offering and the altar. Just like you can't separate the temple and not, or the gold in the temple. They're all connected together. So this is part of how the the relationship was with God. Now, as we get into this a little bit, part of what we see that brings us back to the relationships, and I'm jumping around a little bit within the woes, it comes back to how do we come before the Lord? How do we come into his presence and worship him? Because I really think that's part of what's being talked about in these verses. How do we approach God? And Isaiah 66, Yeshua... Um, one of the Hebrew understandings here that's coming out... Is that Yeshua is doing a remes, Meaning he's hinting at another scripture that I want to look at. And that scripture is Isaiah 66 where he's talking in this passage saying, but the one who sits on his throne is the Lord, and the one who sits on his footstool, you know, in heaven. And I want to look back here at Isaiah 66, verses 1 through 4, because this talks about how we approach the Lord. How we look at the Lord and how we come into his presence, and how do we worship him in the beauty of his holiness. And this, this verse really fits in to what's being talked about in the context of Matthew 23. So Isaiah 66, verses 1 through 4.
3: Shall I read it? Sure. Heaven is my dream, the is my question. Where the house that you will be me, and where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. He who builds a boy is as if he slays him He who sacrifices a lamb, as if he breaks a dog's He who offers a grain offering as if he offers swine's blood. He who burns incense, as if he blesses an idol. Just as they have chosen their own ways and soul socialized in their abominations, so will I choose their delusions and bring their fears on them. Because when I called, no one answered, and when I spoke, they did not hear. But they did the be evil before my eyes and chose that in which I do not delight.
0: So, what is this talking about? What is this? Is this is a user-friendly passage. No. <laughs> What's being talked? About? What is the comparing? What is God comparing the worship here to? Offering of pagan blood. (laughs) Pagan worship. Very much so. Pagan. It's right there. Burning incense as if you burned up some idols. And I don't think Yeshua is making reference to this passage um, on accident when he says God's throne in Matthew 23. I think he's wanting people to understand. The worship of God has to look like what Isaiah is talking about here. The worship of God has to be sincere in humility. And it can't be the way you do other things. When When you kill an ox, it shouldn't be like strangling a dog. And doing some of the other things that are talked about. Or killing a man. Some very, very strong, strong words in how we worship and approach the Lord. And so, as we move forward, I I thought it was interesting, this verse 14. I want to jump back to Matthew 23, 14. And as I was looking into commentaries and trying to get a different sense of, what is this verse about? This verse doesn't seem to make any sense at all. It has the connotation of someone who's praying, but because they pray long prayers... They swallow up widows' houses. And I thought, what on earth is this talking about? There's there's not a lot of comment. Some of the commentaries didn't have anything to say on it. Like, I don't know why it's there. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And some of them just looked at it and said, you know, this is just anti-Semitic talk. You know, this is just, they would even say that this is Yeshua saying davening is wrong. Praying before the Lord in a way of davening is wrong. And that he's condemning Judaism in and of itself.
2: Might explain, Michael, what davening is.
0: Um, that's a good question. <laughs> I, I thought it was how you pray and how you actually make a bowing motion as you pray. It's that. it's also the liturgical prayers. The liturgical prayers. Okay. So, part of the understanding that makes connection is if you look at this passage in its parallels. Because this is not the only time it's mentioned in Scripture. Some of the manuscripts say in Matthew this verse is not even found. Verse fourteen. And so some Bibles might not even have it. But let's look at it in the context. Twenty
3: three.
0: In some of the manuscripts it says verse fourteen is not in Matthew twenty
3: three. Oh yeah, well they don't have any of yeah, the other person, the other
0: talking about. <laughs> But let's look at it in the context of Luke. Let's turn to Luke chapter 20. This is where parallel passages are so important. My, this week my sister said, um, she asked me a question about the man from Gadarenes and wanted to know information. I said, have you read the parallel passages? There are parallel passages, yes. You can learn a lot from just reading the other Parallel passages when you see a verse you don't understand. Let's read Luke 20, verse 47, which is the very last verse of Luke, chapter 20. And then let's roll it into chapter 21, verse 4.
1: You devour widows' houses and make long prayers as a show. These men will receive greater condemnation. And roll into what he
0: said? 21. Verse, chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Okay.
1: Then Yeshua looked up and saw the rich dropping their gifts into the treasury box. He also saw a poor widow dropping in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all the rest. For all these put in their gifts from their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on.
0: And uh, well, so we're talking about the temple. Oh, I'm sorry. Is that huh? probably going a little farther? Yeah. But that's okay. Um, so, this passage, what is the point of the widow? What is the point of the widow's might, in a sense? And why do you think it's connected? In a sense, why does Luke and Mark, Mark does the same thing, they link the widow's might to this passage? Why do you think that is? What he was showing. Was that there were those that gave out of their um, their excess, and that what they gave didn't uh, put them out at all. And the widow, she gave everything she had. She had nothing left after what she gave, so she gave that basically out of her own poverty. And, and what was what do we learn from the widow? In fact, they, Rabbi David said this uh, uh, about a month or two back when he taught. He talked about and he asked a question. He said, "Are you all in?" Remember he said that in one of his talking about the idea of ownership and how we how we come before the Lord and how we worship him and serve him? And he says, Are you all in? Because the widow was, right?
1: Well, I think I think one thing that she really gallantly shows here is that she's not afraid. She she puts her trust in God and she, I, I just feel that's what I feel for her is that she, she knows that God will, even though she's impoverished, she's not making herself more impoverished by giving. No, she's, she's not. She's, she trusts that God will provide for her, I think. That's what I'm getting. That's what sense.
0: Yes, that God will provide, and therefore, if God will provide, I'm going to be all in with God. I'm going to give my all to God. Yes
3: it seems to me it seems the connection is that um, the Pharisees the Torah scholars given outside show piety um, given outside show because of their um, demonstration of the amount of prayers they gave that they were as you were putting it all in Um, and yet they were not doing practical righteousness because like for the widows who were not down, providing for them or whatever was required. Um, and so why it's linked to the widow is they showed how she, on the other hand, didn't make a big show of her doubting and so on. But she did demonstrated, her All right, in the same sense of how James says, by your actions you show your faith. That, to me, seems more so sort of the connection between the... the ones who had the outward shows. And after the connecting. You all of them with those yes. Yes. Houses,
2: but yeah, that's... You, know,
3: you make a big show on the sand, and yet you're not practicing it over here. So and, that, again, and, that's
0: and that's why context, context is so so important mm-hmm. when we study the scripture, looking what was happening before and what's happening after, because it can show us so much. Not only did the widow not make a show. But the widows don't have very much. Widows are poor. And if they were taking from the widows, if the widows believed that they were the people that needed to be, be supported because they were, they were under God, it says that what they did to take what the little that the widows had was not in God's order, completely out of God's order.
2: Yeah, he explains it in Mark. Chapter 12, very plainly, before he goes into the widow.
0: Yes, yes. And so that's why I'm saying. The context of this verse, even though, quote unquote, it's not in Matthew, it really is powerful when you understand its connection to the rest of the New Testament.
2: And the point here, Michael, is that um, the uh, the Gospel writers um, collected... Uh, statements that Yeshua made over three years and he made all kinds of statements and so it's not surprising that in one place he made it, someplace else he didn't
1: I think the other thing that's interesting about that passage it, it talks about the surplus given by others but she gave you know out of her poverty and what it says there basically is and God noticed he totally noticed. He noticed. He noticed and did he noticed the people giving out of their surplus? No. But he noticed her. And I think, you know, to me that we all want God to turn his face to us. And that is an example of God, to me,
0: turning your, his face to you. Amen. So we're hopscotching back again. I
3: have one thing to ask my No, answer. go ahead. I
2: believe the
0: widows supported them. That's my my belief. I believe that when you look at the church today, who's the church made up of? Is it made up of a lot of families? No. Is it made up of a lot of men? No. It's usually made up of a lot of single women. And for the most part, when I look at our congregation, in fact, it doesn't take much of it. You can look at our own congregation and go down the line and say, okay, that lady's an old, older woman. She's probably a widow. This lady's divorced. But the church, the religious establishment, whatever you want, it's funded by the widows. It's, it's the widows supported the Pharisee and the scribe. The widows are the ones that make it happen at churches. Find any long-lasting church, you'll find quite a few ladies that are there, rolling up their sleeves. But it should it should really convict us men and us families and us couples. But the fact is, a lot of women make their conviction to be there and to serve the Lord day after day after day.
3: Was that true of the synagogue?
0: I believe so. Yes. And did they take on
3: the widow because that was the feeblest member of society, the most unprotected member. Of I
0: don't think it was that they picked on them, but I think I think it was easier to get a widow to support you. No, but
3: did you sure refer to the widow? Oh, you're thinking of that rather than that you should refer to the widow because that was the poorest member of society.
0: It was one of the poorest members of society. But yet look at their commitment to the Lord. And I think it still we can still see it in our own day now. We can still see that most of our good congregations that have lasted over time have been there because of the widows, the divorced ladies of the congregation that have been faithful, whether it's through money, whether it's through efforts or time or talents. It's, it's just the way, I don't know what it is, it's, I think it's the way God has wired you women, that you're very you're all in, you're faithful, you're committed people.
3: There was another time when Yeshua was telling, um, telling, the same Pharisees and so forth that in a way they were not providing for widows because mm-hmm. they were saying, like talking about their own mothers or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. saying because what I would have given you I can't because I've dedicated it to the Lord. And so in other words, there seems to be a context of where they did not, either from taking money from the widows from not supporting them or whatever. There was not, they did not treat that. Sect,
0: community, um, you're you're actually you're actually uh, mixing scriptures. That's talking about the parents because he says you've you've called this korban, meaning right. set apart to be offered, which korban is one of the words for offering. Oh,
3: their parents. Okay. Yes,
0: and that was referring to the parents. Wow. And I I'm trying to remember if that's Matthew fourteen or Matthew fifteen.
2: It's, uh... <laughs> It's
0: also Mark uh, 7. Mark 7. So I believe it's Matthew 15. And so there's several, there's several differences. But it was specifically there talking about parents that, okay. that you put aside your responsibility to your parents. But, uh,
3: yeah, okay, fair enough. Okay. You've a whole sense of that those who are more helpless or who should be helped, they don't help. Correct. You know, uh, Correct. they do they take from them what they
2: shouldn't. In that case, was it the accusation of okay. Yes.
3: Well, he
0: actually he actually brought it level, saying, "You break the commandment, which was greater than the." Tra- and he almost says to him, "Which is greater, the commandment or the tradition?"
1: And the commandment
0: is to what? To to, to honor you your father and mother. And
1: also the other commandment that aligns, in my mind, to this whole thing too. Is take care of the widows and the and orphans. Orphans. orphans.
0: Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. The ministry and and this, you know, this is look at our own self. How do we approach God? How do we minister to the weak among us in our community? How do we look to support them instead of looking just to get from? It? Because it has to be a conduit that we what happens in us. What God does in our hearts is in the internal should come right back out to everyone else. First here in the community and then outside this community. I hope hope to God it gets out of this room and out of this building and touches other people like through things like the March of Remembrance and other events outside this community. Whether we're at the park witnessing or doing whatever it is, it's to not stay here in this building by any means at all. So, um, Floyd, would you close us in prayer tonight?
2: Father, well, we thank you. Most of all, for our salvation. But we also thank you that you've given us the opportunity to learn of you, to know more about you, so that we can love you more and serve you better. And we thank you for tonight that you've shown us the things that you've shown us from your word. We just ask Father that. it. Do not allow those to escape our minds and our hearts. And as Martin said, let it go out of this building. Let it go out of our bodies and out of our minds and our hearts to other people. We ask that you will be with us tonight as we go to our shepherds' homes. Protect us and bring us back for these things we ask in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.